Hey everyone, if you're a fan of Odd and Bizarre TV, you can join myself, Kevin, and my co-host Ethan as we host our new podcast, Primetime Oddities, available on Apple and Google Podcasts, coming to other podcast platforms very soon. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to In Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast. This week, we'll be discussing episode two of Star Trek Lower Decks, entitled Envoys. I am one of your hosts, Kevin, and I am also joined, as always, by... The other host, Ethan. So we're two episodes in, two weeks into the 23 straight weeks of Trek... Only uh, 21 to go. 21 more to go. Uninterrupted. I liked this week. I liked this episode a lot. I smiled the entire time. Yeah, I, uh, I liked it fine. I liked it fine. Yeah. I, I think th- I think this week they they went a little heavy on the comedy this time, as opposed to last week. But um, But that's okay, because it's a comedy. Yeah, and it was, you know, a lot of plot comedy, I guess. Yeah. But a good episode. I enjoyed it. So let's just kind of dive right in. So what are your kind of observations that you have uh, this week? Uh, let's see. So first one, I think that there were a few really funny, specific um, jokes Mm-hmm. And I think the cold open was one. Yep. So in the cold open, you had the trans-dimensional energy creature. Yep. That came in, and the 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 framing of it, and the shots, and the effects were so next generation. They were. They were. The way you saw it come toward the ship, and then you just saw it come through the wall, yep. and then it was into the hallway. Yep. And it was just this glowing, you know, probably like a simple special effect to do, mm-hmm. which would be just a glowing like a spot. Right. And, um, and I love that they maintain but, that, by the way, right? Like, they still treat it yeah. as such. Yeah. Yes. But I love that to, um, which makes perfect sense, that to Mariner, it was no big deal. It was kind of like, ah, another one of these trans-dimensional energy creatures. Right. Because, you know, they show up all the time on Next Gen, so of course people must run into them all over the place. But I love that the, the so you had that kind of Next Gen connection, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, I do. The, have, I do have. Um, I do have notes on that. Like my, I loved the. I mean, obviously, I loved the comedy of it, right? Because it was kind of like poking fun at this sort of Star Trek cliche, right? I mean, I know I said like it doesn't make Star Trek the punchline, but it does make the cliches of Trek kind right. of the punchline, yeah, right? Yeah. And that's why I love the character because the character had a very original series vibe. The right. way he was telling them, I, I, "You will feast on your misery." Yes, and yes. all that it was. Yeah, I think, and I love that you point that out. I wish they had just gone the the extra mile and made the voice like almost echo, like the way they like the way like those non corporeal, trans dimensional beings on the original series sounded. They all sounded like they were like talking out of like a cathedral. Yeah, they didn't put a little warble on it or something. Yeah, my my only thing about this was, and it was again, I loved it. It was great. It was really funny. I was a little disappointed that that wasn't that nothing came of it i thought this was gonna like continue on throughout the episode because it went into the captain and i'm like oh and i'm like is this gonna be like a b plot or something like that 
So I don't. I mean, I don't know. If maybe if we're gonna pick up on this next week or something like that. But I thought that that was gonna sort of factor into the episode this week, which it didn't, unfortunately. And I was a little um, disappointed by that. But yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I really liked it. It's just a little, this little standalone um, bit. But I, I just, I, I, I laughed so hard when she was like, "Oh, oh!" And she's just like, she's like, "Grab it, grab it!" And I love the fact that she's like, she's negotiating with it. To get something out of it, to like get a tricorder out of it. Yeah, yeah, one of those new, cool new tricorders. Yeah, it was great. It was such a great. Yeah, bit. it was interesting and, um, too. That, that was her wish for you know someone that could create any. I know she could have oh, wished. The thing is, <laughs> yeah, like, like she could. Marina could have wished for anything, and she wishes for a gold tricorder with, Latinum. with a purple, with a purple gold press Latinum. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was fun. It was it was really fun. Like it, it, yeah. To your point, it reminded me of those moments on Next Generation. And again, I love the fact that because on Next Generation, things like that are done to save budget, right? To to cut costs. It's just like a simple special effect. But that mm. simple special effect, like, is becoming canon and establishing stuff in the world. And I love the fact that they just, even on the show, they kept it simple to just a tiny little ball of light. Right. Yeah. And then even in, in this, but, but, and then it was just so, you know, impotent of a creature. Right. That's why I thought when the captain walked into it, she had kind of like destroyed it or something. Which, well, I thought to I myself, like, it. does the captain even know that it's there? Or is she just like, eh, whatever. <laughs> she, just she totally didn't know. She was talking about coming up with a new catchphrase for when they go into war. Yeah. Which yeah. also continued that pompous captain idea that they've been working with quite a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, before we get into the specifics of the episode, I, I, I do have to say that, um, and I should have opened with this, I guess, but I love the fact that this show is, I watch it and I get this, and I get the next generation vibe from the show. I get the Star Trek vibe from the show. Yes, the basis of the show is to be funny, but because it's funny, it doesn't make it any less Trek than, say, next generation. Like, it's actually building on these character arcs and trying to... It's developing these characters very well. They're not just jokes every single week, right? It's actually going someplace, right? And I love the fact that it just... To me, it still feels like... Not only does it feel like a Next Generation episode, but I feel like I'm watching an episode of Star Trek. Because even the episode ended on a positive note. For me. Right, and it sort of ended in even the type of way that Next Generation maybe would have ended. Right, everyone's kind of together. Yeah, they would be in ten forward, and they were in whatever they were in. Yeah, I mean, I it, it, what I'm really appreciating about the show is that it's very respectful to the world that it takes place in, and it still treats it like an actual Star Trek series. They're just choosing to they're just choosing to throw in a lot of comedy, but they're still yeah. keeping that Trek vibe to it, right? Definitely, and that's and, and that's what I appreciate about it. And they're not. You know, it's like you said, the characters are real characters. Yeah. Somewhat, we've clearly got the the arc is going to be uh, Mariner teaching Boimler how to unwind and relax and, um, you know, maybe take a little bit more of a Kirk approach. Yep. Whereas, you know, you go for the adventure hmm. and you rule book, you know, guide you but not dictate what you do. Right. Um, so... The two, so we have the A and the B plots, respectively, on this week is it focuses the A plot focuses on Boimer um, escorting a Klingon ambassador down to a planet, and the B plot 
focuses on the ensign whose name I'm blanking out on trying out different departments, seeing which one works best for him. Uh, Rutherford. Rutherford, thank you. But don't forget that the reason he's doing it mm. is because Tendi wanted to watch uh, some sort of space phenomena uh, happen, and uh, he had to work. Yeah. And so he said he was going to uh, change careers so that he didn't have to work at that particular time. Mm-hmm. And then he had to Even kind of... Fo- he clearly is an engineer. And know? then he had to kind of follow through with that lie... And kind of go through everything. Right, and then at the yeah. end, though, she didn't... <laughs> he had to play it off like he wasn't really doing that. Right, but at the end, ended up watching it in the, in the Jeffrey's Tube anyway, so... Uh, on, a, yeah. on a pad, yeah. On a pad, yeah. So, um... Yeah, and I thought it was some excellent humor. Some of the, like, really fantastic humor there, I mean... I thought Rutherford's super chilled-out engineering chief was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never seen an engineering chief that mellow and hippie-like. Yeah. But I think the best was when he went to the command simulations. Yes. Yeah, so... I mean, that was great, great humor. And 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 we've seen that situation several times throughout Trek where they go in with, like, a cadet is in training and goes through a command-like simulation to see how they perform, right? But right. I love the fact that it just got so ridiculous, like... They yes. collide with the asteroid. Uh, maintaining, like, course. maintaining course killed 105% of the crew. Right. Or, like, they crash into the asteroid, and he's like, oh, my God, all the children are <laughs> spilling out into space. Like, what? Right. First, first the kindergarten, then the pre-K, <laughs> then all the children. Yeah. And because, because he tried the Janeway maneuver, whatever whatever that is. So the Janeway maneuver... Janeway you protocol, and I, rather. Janeway... Excuse me. Sorry, that's right. The Janeway protocol. So you and I were talking about this briefly at the beginning, because you were like, I have questions. And I go, okay, I don't know what the Janeway protocol is. However... Janeway did a lot of time traveling. The temporal police uh, said she was, a, you know, basically labeled her as a menace on Voyager. And the fact that they were, the Janeway maneuver came up during a temporal, uh, when the temporal vortex was there. So the Janeway maneuver, in my, you know, clearly has something to do with time travel. I still don't know what it is, but it's, it, if it, we're not, I don't think we're going to find out. It's just a name drop, really. So. Right, right, yeah. But right. it was. It was just, the humor of it was great, because the first one, they're like, oh, you should have used the Janeway Protocol, so then when he sees the asteroid, he thinks, oh, I better use the Janeway Protocol, which clearly right. was not moved. Right. Um, and it was just a, you know, it was great, because it did, like you said, it set us up for that classic scene of the training, but just the way it went off the rails, it just in a second, Yeah. it worked really, really well. The thing about, so during Rutherford's, like, visit to all these different departments, the thing that stood out for me the most was the uh, the security officer, Shaksh. He's Bajoran. Yeah. He's Bajoran, but he acts very much like a Klingon. Yeah, he's out for blood. Yeah, and Definitely. he's just, you know, he's talking about, like, you know, in battle, and I'm just like, is this guy supposed to speak? I'm like, this guy's a Bajoran, but why is he acting like a Klingon? Right, and I remember one of the preview reels, they had him... I think he was on the bridge. And they said, like, they're hailing us, Captain. And he yelled out, launch the torpedoes! Yeah. Which is hilarious. Yeah, yeah, the the Bajorans are a very spiritual people. They're not... Yeah, but Akira was was pretty badass, so maybe he's, like, from the Akira wing of that, uh, you know. Right, but... The more freedom fighter. You know what I think it is? It's the freedom fighter aspect, you're right, but I think it also has more to do with the fact that, like, he's a big hulking guy... I'm, I'm stereotyping at this point, right? So there's like a... And the security. 
there's something very Klingon about him, just in the way he behaves and yeah, yeah. So. Well, yes, but there was the most Klingon was Corin because he was a Klingon in this episode. Yes, yeah. Which was funny to paint Klingons as just kind of ratchet everything up to eleven and just yeah. have them yeah be drunk in maniacs. <laughs> But yeah, he was a. Um, I liked him. I liked that Klingon that we saw very much. And he's sort of the classic that, like, Klingon. From he the was 80s. the classic Klingon, Ooh. the one, the warrior Klingon, but also the one who loves to drink and right. So yeah, yeah. fight, eat his hot worms, mm. his gach. That's what it yeah. is. A, a Klingon dish that we've seen multiple times throughout mm-hmm. the franchise. So yeah, good thing. Good thing they got that right, or the fans would have had an eruption. <sighs> Well, I don't know if you noticed this, but when they actually got down to that planet and they arrived in the Klingon sector, you actually saw Klingons, both versions of the Klingons, the sort of next generation version and the Discovery mm-hmm. version of the Klingons. So you saw both present there. Oh, did we know original series Klingons? No, not that I saw. But it's like, so what that tells me is that, okay, so the Klingons that we're seeing on Discovery are just another sort of like type of Klingon, really. Yeah. But, again, I, even if we didn't, I still don't care about that. Me neither, me neither. Well, it's kind of funny. So, you're talking about it's fitting with Star Trek. It was fun to see something that you would never see on another Star Trek show, which is, although this probably happens, given how the Federation works, that you would have a, a planet, or even a city in a planet, with a Klingon district, an Andorian district. Yeah. You know? But I could never see them doing that many different costumes and makeup for an episode of the show. But the Klingon district had a very Chinatown vibe. It had that arch that looked very much like the arch into every Chinatown in every city, but it had the Klingon symbol on the arch, which was a cute little... Right. But I, but the, you know what you know what I thought was cool too like I love the I love the lore of that like I love the fact that they go down to this planet and it's divided up by like the different districts of the aliens in the uh, quadrant so it's like in a way like it is going to a city and then like you're in the Chinatown district right or like you're in the North End you're in the Italian district like I love the fact that they kind of divide it up like that I don't know yeah. that to me I just thought was was a really cool way of doing it definitely. And you know Klingons would want to stick to their own neighborhood. Yeah. Well, and they even say when they arrive, like, "Oh, it even smells like a Klingon sector. We have to get the we have to get the the shuttlecraft clean when we get back." So. Yeah. 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 Um, and I, I really liked also that Boimler, his way of so we're definitely setting up this contrast between Boimler. It's like Boimler's going to do it by the book. Mariner's going to use her street smarts or space smarts. Yep. And the Boimler wants to impress the um, the Klingon Corrin, so he puts on his dress uniform. Which, you know, the dress uniforms are funny enough anyway. Yep. But then you put him in in a comedy like this, and it just seems so ridiculous to think that that would impress the Klingon. Well, um, and th- and this is kind of what I mean too, right? Like it's it's the idea that I, I, we can kind of see where the show is going, right? Like he's this sort of uptight, kind of by the book Starfleet officer, but really wants to succeed. But he thinks that his way of doing it means I have to follow protocol and do everything thing to do and we've got this one person with him who she's very cavalier she's very you know likes to have fun she's very adventurous the way she does things is kind of you know in his mind like almost like a a danger to him 
but really she's 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 looking out for him. I, I would th- I would think that she's more concerned with him loosening up as a person than making sure that he gets to where he needs to go because I think she feels that if he doesn't kind of loosen up, he's not going to get very far in Starfleet. Yeah, and yeah. personally. And it's definitely right. clear from the, from the last scene when she pays someone to set him up to be the smart one who actually did know something. Right. And see, and that's and when this when it ended for the week, like that's when I had this big smile across my face because like you know, Boimler is a or not Boimler, um Mariner is a very you know, she's not the ideal Starfleet officer, but like you you like her very much, and you just you wouldn't. She's the kind of stuff. She's the kind of friend that you'd probably want to have in Starfleet. As yes, you're making she's not the up. ideal officer, but she's the ideal friend. Right. Well, because she's she's been there, and I love the idea that she's this officer who's actually kind of making her way down in the ranks, and she's made it to a point where she's sort of now going parallel with him. He's on his way up, and she's on her way down. But I, I do wonder if, like, as the series goes on if there's going to be something redeeming that she's going to find about herself and then maybe say, you know what? Maybe I should. I, I think maybe I should kind of improve and go. Yeah. I, yeah. Wonder. I wonder if they're going to go that route because clearly we could see a situation where she, something happens and she has to take control of something and she would be fantastic at it. I, I mean, I could see, I, I can envision a situation like, you know, years from now where say, uh, Boimler becomes a captain, and he's choosing his first officer, and he would and he would choose her. Right. Like I could I could see that happening at some point. Yeah, I, mean, I know we're only in the second episode of the show, but yeah. Right, right, right. Um, what one thing? Mention how she gives him kind of that win, but my thought of it honestly was, what a dick Boimler is. <laughs> She saved his ass. Yep. She knew way more than he did about anything that was going on down there. She saved him like three times in this mm-hmm. one trip. And he's calling, he's, he's trying to, him, you know, make himself seem cool by embarrassing her in front of everybody. So right. as much as he's a good friend, he's kind of a dick. That was well, my I, because I don't think he fully has. Um... I don't think he fully trusts her yet. I still think that he feels like... I think in some ways he wants to be a role model for her. Because he just doesn't yeah. agree with her tactics. But I think as time goes on, he's going to understand. But And you begin. I think you begin to see a little bit of that as they make their way back to the ship, right? <laughs> but I think you're going to see him loosen up over time, in my opinion and become more trusting of her. We're at the point now where it's still early in their relationship, and she's just so cavalier and so out of control in his mind that he probably sees views her as like a threat to his own career. Like, I'm not going to get anywhere if she's always around, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, she's interfering with his, way of, doing, his way of wanting to do things. Yeah, but she's also saving his ass. Right. right. So I think... I think he's too arrogant he to see to. that. Yes, he's too arrogant to see that. Even though, when they're in the, when they're in the middle of their situation, he's clearly fully aware that she is his only lifeline. Yeah. I actually one of the great jokes I like is when you know they're describing what's going to happen to them mm-hmm. if they mess this up, 
And yeah. Boimler describes what sounds like the premise for a Next Generation episode. Yeah. He says, um, uh, I'm going to study bugs, and I'm going to go live on a like isolated planet and study bugs, and then I'm going to get eaten by the bugs, and then a ship's going to show up, and they're going to find my shaky vlog yes. explaining what happened <laughs> right before I got eaten. Right. I love that. Because you know, how many times do they find a planet, and then they find a shaky cam of the people right before they get destroyed? Yeah, it's so found, it's, 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 the, it's, the, it's the found footage thing. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that was an excellent... Um, the way yeah. he just summed it up like Star that, Trek. the way he just like summed it up like that was so was so perfect. Yeah, it would be a next gen episode. That would but, be the beginning. And I and I would argue that against say Hater is like that that tell that alone tells me that the people behind the show they they're, they're massive Star Trek fans because they they know they know what to make fun of. And they know what Trek fans are going to laugh at. Because how many right. times have we seen something like that on a Trek show? I mean, yeah, right? But it's not one of the, but that's not one of the, like, go-to tropes, you know? No. No, no, no. Which is why I think it does show a deep, you know, love for Star Trek. And plus, I mean, that joke was like, that was, it sounds like a lot, but that was one throwaway joke that probably took 15 seconds. Right. Well, it was like it was like that joke last week when uh, he was injured, and they said, "Oh yeah, don't worry. Like the doctor will wave a light over it, and you'll be fine." Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. It's the same. <laughs> yeah, like right. I think the show is doing really a really good job at like kind of poking fun at kind of some of the absurdities of Trek that we kind of just accept and don't really think about, but or don't want to admit. Like, yeah, that is kind of uh, a little bit of a cliche. That's a little, you know. But it's but again, it's doing it in an extremely inoffensive way. Right. Another one that I thought was great that was just a total throwaway joke, but so when Boimler was speed walking, which first of all, speed walking just is inherently funny looking. Yes. But he's doing it in the dress uniform. Right. And then he's trying to justify it to Mariner and he says, This is how what section thirty one does. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot yes, I forgot about that line. And I was kinda like, yeah. Oh god, no, not section thirty one, stop. Because you know how much but, I hate. I just, could you imagine Section Thirty One using like Olympic speed walking as their way of getting places? Oh, I know. I, I mean, and you know, and you know how much I hate Section Thirty One anyway. So, right. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of the jokes with the Klingon Corin were great, but, but I think probably my favorite, right? So, is when they finally get him to the the peace negotiations, I believe they were, and they dump him on, on he's completely drunk. And, he, and someone from Starfleet comes out and he says, uh, fetch me my I drinking horn. I need ale. Fetch me my drinking horn. It's such a ridiculous, <laughs> it's such a ridiculous line. But it's such a Klingon line. It is. And I love the, and you, know what it's, you know what's great about it is like, no ma- I love that no matter how like drunk a Klingon gets, he still talks like the cliched Klingon, like fetch me my drinking horn. Like he's still talking like a warrior. Yeah. Right, like a Shakespearean warrior. Kind of. <laughs> right, fetch me my drinking horn. I need ale. <laughs> and, and it was great too. The complete dismissiveness of the Starfleet. Uh, well, like he grabs, he like grabs her by the leg. He just fetch me. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I, uh, I actually screenshot that and put it on Twitter because I was like, this is my favorite. This is my favorite. You know, I think this would be a good segment actually. So I think we should maybe going forward pick our favorite line 
from every episode. Oh yeah. Favorite line of the week, and I, I I'm gonna say from me. All right, I'm gonna just make up our new segment now. So our new okay. segment. Debuting our new segment, favorite joke of the week. Mine is that. Fetch me for our favorite line. Fetch me my drinking horn. I need a hill. Yeah. So since that one's taken, I'm gonna go with. Um, well, you can use it too. No, no, no. We gotta give the people what they want. Yeah. Because um, well, I just made I it up know. on the Maybe spot. Like, so. I will make you. F- it's a toss up between I'll make you feast on your misery, <laughs> or um, that speed walking is what Section Thirty One does. You. I mean, do both. You can do both. We'll yeah. say favorite lines, parentheses, in the Yes. Yeah. Oh, those are mine, definitely. Fetch me my drinking horn. I need a I will make you feast on your misery. Um, but the, but again, the reason I love that line so much, it's not just the line itself. It's it's the fact that it's still said in a very Klingon way, as you yes, say. In the, the, very, context, the Shakespearean way, yeah. Where Starfleet is saying, oh, thank God this guy's finally here for the delicate peace negotiations. And, uh, you know, <laughs> and that's what he has to say. And he throws off on himself. Yeah, it's fantastic. It was great. And also just to think, like, you know, the Klingons, that's who they send to peace negotiations. Yeah. Yeah. Classic Klingon. You said uh, earlier, I think before we recorded, though, um, you had some questions for me. So... Yes. So is Tulgana 4 a planet we've heard of before? No, it is not. Okay. I've not heard of that planet before. Are the kit? Kitomer Accords, anything we've heard of before? Yes, the Kitomer Accords are the, is the peace treaty between the Federation and the Klingon Empire, which you saw signed at the end of Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered okay. Country. Yeah, because at one point they say something is a violation of the Kitomer Accords. Oh yeah, the Kitomer Accords have been referenced many times in the franchise. Nice. Yep. Alright, how about the Kalons, that alien with the two horns on each side of his head? The one... Um, also, maybe one of my other favorite lines, the one that's um, going to kill Boimler, but then Mariner takes his wallet and throws it, and then he, when he finds it, he says, oh, my dad's going to kill me. Yeah. Um, yes, the Kalons are an established species. We saw them on uh, Next Generation in the, I believe, the fifth season? Yes. Interesting. Yeah. And they looked similar. They did. They did. It's great. Yep. And then the last one was the Janeway Protocol, which we established just made up. Yeah. For the... Yeah, I forget the name of the episode that the Kalons appear in on Next Generation, but we have uh, seen them before, yes. All right. So with that, I turn it over to you Yep. for... The other new segment that we're going to be introducing, which is called... We went back and forth on the title briefly, but I'm calling it Continuity Watch, which is basically... Seeing where Lower Decks ties into the rest of the franchise. So, uh, I've got a few that I pointed out in this episode. If anybody catches anything that I did not mention, definitely tweet it to us. So, in the beginning, in the cargo bay, Lieutenant Castro is an officer referenced as serving aboard the Enterprise. Yeah, I, one. Yep. I caught that one. Yep. Uh, we talked about Boimar, of course, wearing the Starfleet dress uniform. My favorite continuity uh, watch item for the week is when they're on the uh, shuttlecraft and Mariner is, like, talking in her sleep. She says, buried alive, marooned for all eternity. She's quoting Khan. She's she's dreaming about Khan. <laughs> Excellent. 
Yeah. Excellent. I, I thought that was moons of yeah, moons of Nibia. Like she's actually quoting the lines that Khan says right before Kirk screams out Khan, save for the moons of Nibia. But I'm like, she's having a. I'm sitting there going, she's having a dream about Khan, which I think is really funny. Yeah. Um, I did notice that General Corrin had a similar sort of eye patch to General Chang in Star Trek Six. He's got the eye patch, but he's got like the the nails in there, so it looks very similar oh, nice. to that. Yes. Um, you know the Klingon Gach, obviously. The the um. How do you say the ship? Is it Cerritos? Cerritos? I forget. Cerritos. Cerritos? I forget. I forget too. The ship, Cerritos. We'll have this lined up by next week. Cerritos. But yeah. they have children on board, just like the Enterprise did on um, the Enterprise and Next Generation. I they have a much more extensive education system, though, with a kindergarten and a pre-K. Yeah, exactly. Well, actually, so, I mean... Actually, I don't know. Do they? Because he wasn't a holodeck simulation, so I don't know. Oh, that's it could, true. Yeah, it's true. Right. Actually, that's a, and he yeah. did say, yeah, we'll do it with another... We'll give you another one with more children. So Yeah, yeah was... so actually, never mind. But either way, I mean, it's still... That's still kind of a next generation nod. Um, mm-hmm. I love that the Andorians still kind of maintain that militaristic feel about them as they did on Enterprise. Like, don't mess with them. They're still like the tough guys, right? Yes. And, and I... You know I love the Andorians, and I yeah. hope that we see more. And well, I'll take this, even though it's only animated, but they're so underused for one of the founding members of... of they were very underused up until Enterprise, and, like, I have to... I was always convinced that when they appeared on Enterprise, the reason why they made them so tough and so militaristic on that show, because they weren't really like that before. I they're funny-looking. Yeah, I think it has something to do with the fact that they just look like kind of that stereotypical alien with intent like i right. i don't know like i think it's because to your point they they look so silly yeah that, it's as yeah. if someone said we want to just do regular martians but we can't make them green because that's played out so just yeah. make them blue yeah give them white wigs and we're good um and this is the first time we've seen a ferengi since enterprise we haven't seen them since the first season of enterprise believe it or not um, right, and that was a nice ending. I, 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 when that Ferengi hopped out of the bushes for a second, I thought it was actually being—he was actually being voiced by uh, Quark himself, Armin Shimmerman, but uh, it didn't sound like it. But, I, but nevertheless, like even though that was a Ferengi, it still felt very much like he was still portraying him like the way the Ferengi's acting. And he actually, oddly enough, one thing I always noticed about the use of the Ferengi, you know, post sort of post first season or second season on Next Generation. Uh-huh. They became a very kind of comical alien race, right? But when you first oh. see them in the last outpost on Next Generation, they're kind of doing the same thing that that friend is doing. They're kind of very hunched over. They're very kind of like, you know, they have like that hissing thing about them. Like they, they're very like, I, I want to use the word like slithery. I don't know why, but like they're just very like dangerous and just very kind of creepy and... You kind of lose. You kind of lost that as time went on. They became again. They became much more comical as the franchise continued, and they yeah. didn't. And and like they didn't. They even and they kind of retroactively applied that to Enterprise, right? When they appeared on Enterprise, despite the fact that it takes place before Next Generation, they still kind of portrayed them as they appeared later on in the franchise, not when we first encountered them on Next Gen. So, right. but I like the fact they I kind think, of went um, back to that. I think the fun thing about this scene and, you know, even that observation, as we say, you know, um, Star Trek has the habit of making that all members of a species or race um, have the same personality trait. Mm -hmm. But I really like when 
when Mariner is doing a little video chat with this person, he's saying, oh, I really played it up, didn't I? Oh, man. And right. he, he was almost laughing at how stereotypically he acted, yes. which seems like that was the point. Yeah. I'm going to make it so obvious that I'm a Ferengi that he cannot mess it up. And so who knows? That Ferengi might have been a very normal guy who never acts like that, but he knew he had to play a part. But even then, like whether or not he was, you know, playing it that way, or if that was like, you know, legit, um, it was still kind of a nice attention to detail, right? And I and I and I kind of take this back to that short trek uh, Q and A with Spock and Number One, the day when Spock first comes aboard the Enterprise. He's speaking very loudly, right? And it's not just because it's his first day on the Enterprise. He's channeling the early Leonard Nimoy's very early portrayal of Spock from that time. So, you know, if you watch The Cage, if you watch the early episodes of the original series, like The Corp of My Maneuver, for example, or The Enemy Within, he's portraying Spock as speaking very loud. Like, Spock shouts a lot. And not just out of anger, like, he's just shouting. He's just speaking loudly. And I love the fact that Ethan Peck actually portrayed that in his version of Spock, particularly in that short trek. He's channeling, again... Nimoy's early performance of the character to make it more sort of in line with sort of the continuity of the, uh, not just the show, but like the way Spock behaves, which I, and I really, when they do, and it's when they do tiny things like that, that's when I, that's one of those things I use as ammo to say, no guys, like they know Trek, like the, like Berman era Trek didn't do that. There's more of an, I would argue in some ways, there's more of an attention to detail for things like that. I uh, 100% agree. Yeah. Oh, here's a question you didn't get to. Okay. The shapeshifter in the Andorian oh, yes. is that of something I, that we've seen before? It looks like a squid. I forgot about that. So, um, the shapeshifter, like that, I mean, it could be Odo's people, one of the founders, but I don't know. Um, we've I seen... assume, though, the squid shape was its real form. That was my assumption, yeah. just because... So out of I mean, we've blue. seen alien shapeshifters in Trek before. Like the Suleiman had some shapeshifting, but um, yeah, I, yeah, that they were very um. Oh, thanks for bringing that up. I totally forgot about that. Um, they, yeah. So I don't, I don't know. Um, they, they may have even named them. I can't remember. I think they just said. I'm pretty sure they just said shapeshifter. Yeah. Yeah. Good to know. That the school shapeshifters are not anything that we've seen before. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to uh, do it for this week. We'll be back next week to discuss the third episode of the show, Temporal Edict. Which is which exciting is because we can expect some time travel, I think. Or at least some regulations about time travel. Oh, does that mean we could see Janeway? We could see the Temporal uh, Cold War Police, whatever. Wait, hold on. So, explain to hold on. Explain again what an edict is. An edict. So an edict is is a law or a rule, but usually you think of it in terms of kings, where it's like just handed down by the king, like unilaterally made by the king. So the Janeway. I mean, Janeway's an ad- Janeway's an admiral. Oh yeah, maybe she has puts up. A, you know. And they did did they not were they not coy about legacy characters appearing on the show? Right, that's true. What if we see Janeway? And I just checked, so, actually, this is interesting. So, not only is it a rule, but it also could be an official order. So, 
can we predict we may see Catherine Janeway next week? Admiral Catherine Janeway? Admiral Catherine Janeway. I'm calling it right here. Admiral Janeway. Or Archer. Oh, God. I know. He's dead well, at this point. Yes, but they could still run a holodeck simulation of him as it they is, did in the it final is time episode. Travel. Oh, yeah. Very good. That's that's so, that. But again, I don't think we're really going to see any of them, but we could see Archer only because they could run a holodeck simulation of Archer, just like they did in the final episode of Enterprise. Or they could do time travel. Boimer could be running a simulation of the NX-01. We don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't. See, uh, but see, that's, I don't know what the biggest odds are on that. That's one. That's that's kind of one of the things about the show that I find so exciting. I mean, obviously, it's not just about. Oh, we can see this person, we can see that person, but it's much easier than, say, on Picard, right? Because all you need in this in this case, you just need their voice. Right, right. And even when you think about this episode, yeah, I don't think you would ever get an episode where you would see, um, uh, you would see Andorians, uh, Klingons, mm. uh, Kalons. Yep. And Borg. Ferengi. That's so much Ferengi. And yeah, Ferengi. Do you know how much makeup work that is for for one they, episode? They, they, they would never do that. Right. And like, man, there was some there was some deep cut continuity, deep cut canon in this episode, honestly. Um, but yeah, yeah, like, and just yeah, yeah, fun deep cut canon, like we said. But you and I talked about like they could go say they could visit Deep Space Nine. Right, and I think I said, yeah, they could like go to Quarks and like play Dabo and get drunk at Quarks Spot. And you were like, yeah, that, and that'd be the perfect place for them to go. Like, because you know, like if they were go to if they were to go to Deep Space Nine, right? Or if they were to like encounter the Enterprise, for example, the lower decks crew is not going to be talking to Picard or Riker, right? And Deep Space Nine, Quarks Bar specifically. That's one of those places that you don't need to be a captain to go to. Like again, they could just walk into Quark's bar and get in, and get into trouble. And like Odo, oh, Odo wouldn't be there at that point, but let's say he was, you know, could throw them in the brig. I mean, you, have to, you also have to get somebody to do a pretty good Rene Abergenois impression. But but like right, that's the yeah. kind of situation that could that could happen to them. Or they could just go to DS9 and wander the promenade, right? Because mm. Deep Space Nine it, is it a star. They go, what? They can just jump out of the window to build the promenade. Well, yeah, because Deep Space Nine is a space station. They probably, if, if they encountered the... Is it at this point, or is it a religious site now? Or am I just thinking of the... You're thinking of the, the documentary. season from the documentary. Okay. Yeah, because, again, think about it. If they encountered the Enterprise, if they encountered, like, Voyager, the Lower Decks crew is probably not going to go aboard any of those ships or interact with that crew. Right, but Deep Space Nine is a space station. It's like going down to a planet. So, yeah. So yeah, you're pushing pretty hard for Deep Space Nine. I hope it happens. No, I'm I'm just I'm just saying. Well, you're hoping. I'm hoping, but I'm, all I'm saying is like the possi like. I would say the possibilities for that are heightened strictly not only just because of the ease of creating it, but it's a extremely neutral location that they could that works in my opinion works plot wise that would make sense right they right. 
Boimer, yeah. Boimer would have no reason to go aboard the Enterprise and talk to Picard. I mean, maybe he would like go aboard the Enterprise and do something stupid, right? But he right. W- he probably wouldn't be interacting with Picard. It, I don't think he would. But here would be funny. I'm gonna sketch out an episode. Like, let's say Picard is touring the Ceratus, whatever it is, for some reason, right? And everybody's on edge, so they're on edge because Picard's there. But we oh, yeah. only run into him like a couple of times, right? Because of course they wouldn't have any interaction. But they're still like, you know, there, so they're trying to do something that has to do with him, and they there could know. be there could be a moment like I, say there could be like a moment like say Picard would still be a captain at this point, but like say he was like an admiral, right? And oh the, yeah, so the whole crew lines and up. The and the admiral arrives and like, yeah, admiral on deck, right? Right. Yeah. And definitely, Mariner's gonna do something dumb. Yep. During that, or yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, Boimler's gonna do something dumb in trying to impress Picard. Or even Mar- Mariner could like, I could for some reason I could see her like knowing Worf somehow. Oh yeah, right. She knew this Klingon, or even even right. Picard, right? Picard would be super strong with everybody except for with her. Like, Mariner could be kind of your key because, like, you could, she'd be like this onion you can just keep, like, peeling back. Like, you'd just be like, how the hell do you know them? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. One and, of the great lines that was really good was when Boimler says, um, uh, Mariner says, well, we did something back in the day. And he says, what do you mean? You're the same age as me. Back in what day? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we could just keep peeling back the onion that is Mariner's past, and it could just get so ridiculous. Like, wait a minute. Yeah, and you can just make it so she has experience with every single thing you encounter. Yes. It yeah, doesn't have she's to make like, it. She's one of those people who has, like, a story about everything. Like, you know, like, how the hell do you know Jean-Luc Picard? Like, what the hell? Exactly. Right. Yeah, so, so maybe in that sense, it could be, like, maybe... Boimler would just be attached to... Would, like, meet Picard just... Because he's attached to the hip with uh, him, because him and Mariner are kind of attached to the hip at that point, right? And he kind of meets her through, he kind of meets them like through osmosis. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, again, it, it, the opportunities excite me simply because of the ease that that could all be done, right? You don't have to worry about building a set, you don't have to worry about, say, an actor's age, right? So. Yeah, you don't have to hire a trainer to uh, put them on a diet to get them uh, slimmed down. Oh, yeah, totally. Absolutely. Okay, well, that's going to do it for us this week. And Thank you for listening. Tell a friend about us if you enjoy what we do. Just don't, and, you know, just don't tell a friend if you don't enjoy what we do. If you don't enjoy what we do, tell us, and then maybe we'll, uh, you know, do better. I don't know. Kevin, they're Star Trek fans. If they don't like what we do, they're going to be very loud about it. Yeah, but there are so many haters in the Star Trek community. We're just kidding. We don't think... Our listeners are not haters. Yeah. You know that. Yeah. Like uh, us. And I, I, but I will say, minor production note, I think by the time Discovery comes back on October 15th, we will have crossed three years of doing this podcast. So, And we'll nice. be entering into our fourth year. So... And we couldn't have done it without you all. Nope. We could not have. We, we actually could have. But it wouldn't have been as fun. Yes. Agreed. All right. We'll see. We'll see you all next week.